It is a privilege and honor to be with you guys this morning. Um, First Baptist Hacienda Heights feels like family. Uh, it's cool to be back after a few years to see new marriages, new babies, um, to see how the Lord has sustained you. I just want to thank you briefly for your care and your love that you've shown my sister. Uh, just being able to see my sister grow and flourish here um, through multiple trials has just been so encouraging for me. And even when I was living in the East Coast, just knowing that there was a good church that was caring and loving her well uh, was such a blessing and, and, and uh, honestly, an assurance for me in the midst of really difficult times. So I just want to thank you for that as well. Um, yeah, I want to send you greetings from Bethany Baptist Church. We love you guys so much. Uh, and so it is a joy for me to be able to be here and spend time with you. Um, and even to you people online, I know that uh, it's trying to watch these video streams can be like trying to cook dinner with an easy-bake oven spiritually. Uh, so I just want to thank you for taking the time to, to watch and listen and hopefully be edified. Um, the sermon this morning is going to be from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Going to be looking at verses 7 through 18. If you have a bulletin, it's going to be on there. I'm going to read from verse 7 to 18 and then I'll pray. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 18. It says this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. The things that are unseen are eternal. Let's pray. Lord, we need your help this morning. If your Holy Spirit doesn't help us, our hearts would be hard. We'll be crushed, despairing, destroyed, if not for your help. So we ask God that you would open our ears, that you would help us to see wonderful things in your word. And we trust, God, that your word will not return void. And so we ask for your help now. 
In Jesus' name, amen. A Christian in Japan in the 17th century wrote this following letter in prison. Oh, if you taste the delights with which God fills the souls of those who serve him, suffer for him, how you would condemn all that the world would promise. I now begin to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, since for his love I am in prison where I suffer much. But I assure you that when I am fainting with hunger, God has fortified me by his sweet consolations, so that I have looked upon myself as well repaid for his service. And though I were yet to pass many years in prison, the time would appear short through the extreme desire which I feel of suffering for him, who even here so repays our labors. Besides other sickness, I have been afflicted with a continual fever for a hundred days without any remedies of, of proper nourishment. Yet all this time, my heart was so full of joy that it seemed to me too narrow to contain it. I have never felt any equal to it and thought myself at the gates of paradise. According to the voice of martyrs, later when he heard that he would be burned alive, he overflowed with joy. He expressed gratitude to God constantly, for he felt himself unworthy as dying as a martyr for Jesus. And soon afterwards, he did. Now, I don't think any of us have the same experience as this brother in Japan. But I think all of us have had experience with suffering. It seems that this pandemic has inflicted some with disease, but everyone with difficulty. And what do we do when we face trials like a pandemic or different difficulties that you may be facing in your life? How do you glorify God in your suffering? Here's the main idea for this morning. Don't give up. Don't give up in the midst of suffering by focusing on the unseen. Don't give up in the midst of suffering by focusing on the unseen. There are going to be three truths or reasons that we're going to meditate on this morning as we think about how to not give up in the midst of suffering by focusing on the unseen. Firstly, God sustains you. God sustains you. Secondly, suffering displays the power of Christ. Suffering displays the power of Christ. And thirdly, suffering is for your benefit. Suffering is for your benefit. So let's look at the first reason, because God sustains you. Let's look at verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So Paul begins with this description of us as clay jars with an extraordinary treasure. In chapter 3 to the beginning of chapter 4, he talks about how this treasure is this glory of God that's found in Christ, this marvelous truth of the gospel that we have. And, and God takes this glory of God, this shining glory of God that Moses had longed to see, and he stores it in brittle clay jars. Why does he do this? Because the power of God would be shown. Look at verse 8. We are 
afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. These brittle jars are being pummeled by the jackhammer of this world, and yet they still remain. They endure in the midst of affliction. Not a single scratch is on them. And we, as Christians, maintain our hope, despite not knowing the exact details and means to work things out. Look at the description. We're we're persecuted, but not abandoned. In fact, we are sharing in the sufferings of our Savior. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We're sustained by this supernatural power of God. I mean, isn't it interesting that the way that Paul describes this power being exercised isn't by this light shining out into the darkness by ourselves or by these jars being transformed into these beautiful neon lights of glory. But rather, this light is being stored in brittle jars. There's nothing inherently in the brittle clay jars that enable them to withstand the forces of this world. You drop them on the concrete, they shatter. If we could have done so on our own, if we could have somehow upped our own status and displayed God's glory by making ourselves look great, then we wouldn't really have anything to show in terms of God's glory. We would have everything to do with it. So the solution that Paul provides here for us is not to become stronger, not to fortify the walls of this clay jar, not to tape pillows to the side to withstand the forces of this world, but rather to place your confidence outside of yourself, to something other than yourself. What protects us as Christians, as these jars, is not the jar itself, but the treasure that it holds. The glory of God enables us to withstand the blows from this world. And that means that the jar doesn't get to take credit for it. It doesn't earn you any holy points to talk about how awesome of a jar you are. Rather, when you get hit, when the world tries to strike you, and you still stand, you're displaying the glory of God. Isaiah 42 describes how how God will not let a bruised reed break. I mean, a bruised reed is not glorious. It's dangling by like a fiber. And God is sustaining us in the midst of difficulty. If you try to withstand the pressures of this world on your own, you will crumble. You will perish. You will despair. You'll feel abandoned. You'll feel destroyed. But with the power of God, you can endure. There's nothing that Bruce Reeds can do to withstand the pressures to break. But God in His tender care sustains them. And God in His tender care empowers you to withstand the pressures of suffering. If you're not a Christian this morning, I wonder what you are willing to give up everything for. What your priorities in this life are what your treasures in this life are. Are those, things going to able, are those things going to be able to do the same for you? Will they be able to protect you? They might be good things, but they won't satisfy. Let's look at point number two. Because suffering displays the power 
of Christ. Because suffering displays the power of Christ. Verse 10. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. When you share in the death of Christ, you also share in his life. In fact, the way that Paul describes this passage and the way that it works out is that when you experience the death of Christ, that his life, his glory actually radiates out from your suffering. This is how Christian suffering is totally different from any other kind of suffering. Because in Christ, your suffering makes you more like your God. And your suffering shows others more of Christ. The call to receive the life of Christ is the call to carry the death of Christ. Jesus says himself in Matthew 16, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The sufferings of Jesus and the vitality of Jesus are intrinsically tied. And and when we experience pain, when, when you experience suffering as a Christian, you become dioramas of the pain and the life and the glory of Christ. Let's look at verse 11. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Here Paul provides a purpose for us in the midst of suffering. Why do you suffer? You suffer for Jesus' sake. Because when you do it, Christ's life is displayed. So Paul and his company are enduring persecution, and they're doing it with joy. Why? Because they're doing it for Christ's glory. I wonder for us, when we experience suffering, if we desire to display the glory of Christ more than our temporary comfort. Because if you want to do that, then you actually have to suffer. Paul says this himself in 2 Timothy 3, that all those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And here in verse 12, he he describes how that death in Christ that we have actually displays and gives life to others. Who are these others? Well, in verses 1 to 6, we can see that the glory is being shown into the darkness of this world, but they can't see it. So the people that are receiving life from our suffering aren't the ones that can't see that light, but actually your brothers and sisters in Christ, your church, your trials, your suffering, your, your death that you're experiencing actually provides life to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Enduring suffering is not merely a private matter. It's actually a means by which Christ provides encouragement and life to those around you. I mean, I'm 25. I haven't suffered very much in my life. But in the little that I've suffered, I've suffered well and I've also suffered not so well. I'm sure for many of you, you've experienced intense suffering in your life. I just want you to know that as you endure Not as you do flashy, dazzling things for Jesus, but as you endure suffering, you are encouraging your brothers and sisters around you. Jeremy, brother, I've seen you suffer so well in the past few years. 
just praying for you and hearing through your different health difficulties. I mean, you are encouragement to me, brother. And you display the life of Christ to those around you. And that's what we all do when, he, when we experience suffering and trials of many kinds. When, when you endure suffering together, when you pray for one another, when you encourage each other, you are emanating the life of Christ to those around you. Let's look at verse 13. Since we have this same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus to bring you into his presence. So Paul quotes the Old Testament here and he cites Psalm 116 in terms of I believed and I also spoke. So let me just read this portion from the psalm to you. David writes this. He says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of shield laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. He preserves the simple. When I was brought low, He saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed. Even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. This is a psalm of deliverance. Notice also, based on what I just read, where the psalmist places the grounds of his confidence. His confidence isn't found in the goodness, or not found in the goodness of his circumstances, but in the God who put him in that particular circumstance. But he also says that in the midst of his belief, when Paul cites saying, I believe, therefore I spoke, the thing that the psalmist is saying is, I am severely afflicted. I am greatly afflicted. What is the psalmist saying? He's saying, I believe, that's why I'm saying that this situation really sucks. It's not easy. Things aren't good right now. See, the solution to your suffering as a Christian is not to belittle it or to ignore it or to be too quick to run to, well, Jesus is still good. Proclaiming victory in Jesus does not mean that there aren't moments of hardship. You can trust God's redemption while still being honest about your circumstances. Faith does not mean blindness or denial of difficulty. Faith acknowledges the depth of pain and still trusts God to be able to redeem it. How are we delivered? Not solely by the removal of a trial, but from the redemption from the one who endured trials. That's why we believe. If you're not a Christian, I want you to listen because this is the good news of the gospel. That God is holy and just. 
And we rebelled against him in our disobedience. And because of that, the world has been fractured by sin. All our suffering comes because of our disobedience. And though we deserve to be crushed and abandoned, God did not leave us that way. In His kindness, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, truly God and truly man. And He lived the perfect life that we could never live. And God suffered. God the Son suffered on the cross. And He cried out in despair to His Father. But He was abandoned by God on the cross while bearing our sins. He was crushed for our iniquities. And He rose victorious over sin and death three days later. And in that, we find the grounds of our confidence in the midst of insurmountable difficulty. If you're not a Christian, I want to urge you to believe in this Jesus. He's better than anything else you can treasure in this world. He provides a solution deeper than anything that you might look to for security. For us Christians. I mean, hasn't God been faithful to us? When you think about the past year, suffering through this pandemic, hasn't God been faithful to you? Hasn't God been good to us in Christ? So what Christians do is we believe in a deliverance in the past, which gives us confidence to speak and be honest in the present. As we look eagerly to the future when all things will be made right. So Paul knows with confidence that God will deliver them from their present affliction. And his confidence is placed in the resurrection. If you want to know that whether or not you have hope in the midst of difficult times, look to the cross. See the depth of pain that your Savior suffered. And then look to the empty tomb and find all the assurance that you need. In Adam, we all die, but in Christ, we will live. Continue to trust this Jesus. And Hacienda Heights, I encourage you to remind each other. We forget when you're in the midst of difficulty and the fog and the storms of despair strike you, encourage your brothers and sisters with your suffering so that they can shoot beams of truth into the darkness of your soul as you emanate the life of Christ to them. Third reason. Because suffering is for your benefit. Because suffering is for your benefit. Verse 15. For it is all for your sake. So as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Paul says, everything is for your benefit. Now in the Greek, everything means everything. Everything is for your benefit. All of it. Which means that suffering is also for your benefit. I mean, how is it for our benefit? Because as you suffer, you share in Christ's death. And as you stand firm in the midst of unspeakable pain, you show the life of Christ. And as you radiate the life of Christ to those around you, it extends to more and more people, and that creates cause for thanksgiving to God. But how is this for our benefit? You can see that, and you can kind of understand, okay, I get it. 
This is suffering that hits me and kind of encourages the people around me. But how is it for my benefit? Because when you suffer, you get to taste and see God's goodness. More of His glory. And as you delight in the glories of Christ, God is glorified. And so the faithful suffering of Christians abounds to the glory of God. It might not feel like that. But let's keep reading. Verse 16. So, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. The sight of God's glory gives context to our endurance. I mean, they can strike your body. COVID can rack your physical health. They can harm your outer self. But your inner self is fortified by the Spirit of Christ day by day. And praise God, it's day by day. Because I feel like I wake up every morning and I need Him again. The Spirit of God helps us every day because attacks on our soul are every day. Verse 17. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Beyond all comparison. The, the deepest scars, the greatest wounds, the damage of all the world's arsenals of weapons are going to be like a paper cut compared to the immeasurable glory of God. I mean, in fact, out of this small, temporary cut emerges an eternal, everlasting, immeasurable glory. Paul's saying this is why we can endure and rejoice in the midst of suffering. Because the impending reward of grace. Christians are not masochists. We aren't interested in just suffering because it makes us detach ourselves from this world. Or or we're not just interested in suffering for suffering's sake. We're not trying to detach ourselves from, from pleasure and joy. We actually believe that enduring these temporary afflictions create for us an eternal weight of glory. That's what we believe. So we are suffering for the sake of upcoming joy. In fact, the author of Hebrews talks about this. In Hebrews chapter 12, he says that, or at at the end of chapter 11, one of those, he talks about how Jesus looked to the cross, right? And for the sake of joy, endured the suffering of the cross. That's what he says. Which means that when Jesus is looking at the cross, and he's looking at uh, immeasurable pain and suffering, he looks through the cross and he sees joy set before him. He sees goodness. He actually sees happiness at the foot of the cross where the wrath of God would be poured out on him. How can you see that? Because he sees in the midst of that suffering the purpose that God has for him. He understands that through the work that he is about to participate in, that there will be the redemption of us. And in that, the glory of God displayed. And in that, he can rejoice. Not just in a passing joy, not in a way where he hangs on the cross and detaches himself from what's happening, but in the midst of that suffering, he can rejoice 
in God. And that's what we do. Verse 18. As we look to the things that are seen, uh, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. The things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. This is why we focus on the unseen. Because the seen isn't reality. If we want to actually see the reality of our sufferings, we have to transcend the physical. It doesn't mean that we ignore present circumstances. You might hear people talk about how God's good to us despite our circumstances. And that is true. God is unchangingly good to us. But we actually look through our present circumstances. You look dead on at the suffering that God has placed before you. And you look through it to see the majesty of God. Because through your suffering is going to come an immeasurable reward. Suffering isn't the goal. But God's glory is. And in God's glory, we will experience a goodness beyond our wildest imaginations. And we experience that glory through the means that God provides for us. Which means that we experience that glory through suffering. Through suffering. Brothers and sisters, this present affliction is temporary. Your hardships will come to an end. And in the meantime, we will endure persecution. We will endure suffering. But the kingdom that Christ establishes is everlasting. It will never end. And we will get to partake in it. And we partake in it even now. With every difficult day. With every aching joint. With every piece of persecution. With every tear that drops. You are experiencing the goodness of God. And we look forward to that day where Christ wipes every tear from our eyes. And we get to experience that goodness in the fullness that we so long to see. George Mueller wrote this in his diary after losing his wife. And I'll close with this. He writes this. He said, It pleased God to take to himself my beloved wife after he had left her to me 23 years and six weeks. By the grace of God, I'm not merely perfectly satisfied with this dispensation, but I kiss the hand which administered the stroke. And I look again to the fulfillment of that word in this instance, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. Let's pray. Lord, we can't do this ourselves. In order for us to have supernatural lenses to see Your goodness in our suffering, we need Your help. So we thank You that You didn't leave us to our own devices, that You didn't leave us in despair, but You sent Your Son. We ask, God, that You would help us to look through whatever trials You provide for us to see Your goodness in them. We ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.